Hello, Grace here. Today on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza for short, I'm talking about power, politics, and porn in relation to recent happenings, which is quite pertinent, involving people in parliament. That a male MP has belatedly admitted to watching porn on his mobile phone while sitting in Commons, his public place of work, where the content he was viewing would be visible to anyone in close proximity, is in itself quite scandalous. The words scandalous and parliament are well acknowledged to go together like steak and kidney pie. If this MP was, say, a bus driver chugging through the London congestion and viewing the same images, he would undoubtedly be reported to management, disciplined or sacked. In addition, he would quite possibly be prosecuted for driving without due care and attention. The miscreant MP in the frame, Nell Parrish, eventually and embarrassingly confessed to accidentally assessing the pond site while researching agricultural equipment during a parliamentary debate. He was observed doing so by a female colleague sitting close by. Such is the cosy and intimate space, or lack of it, on the green benches, that enough room is at a premium in both houses of parliament, and that it is almost impossible not to notice what someone is doing several metres away. The object of Mr. Parrish's attention was the class dominator combined harvester, and no doubt the company that manufactures it are not complaining about the worldwide attention their product has received, although not in the contents they would normally promote it. Also, the numerous domination and S&M websites, although they probably require less of a profile boost. To give him the benefit of the doubt, it's not totally impossible that by googling Dominator without specifying that you were searching for agricultural machinery, a porn site comes up on top. As the saying goes, any publicity is good publicity. Once the allegation was made, an internal inquiry was launched to uncover the identity of the miscreant and establish whether watching porn in Parliament is a serious enough offence as to warrant a range of suitable punishments. Resignation, suspension and deselection were all initially muted. One of those rising to the clamour and expressing horror was none other than Mr. Parrish himself, who apparently thought by expressing his outrage it would deflect attention from himself. But once Parrish had been outed as the culprit, he knew the game was up, honourably fell on his sword and offered his resignation. Unlike the bus driver who would potentially face the sack, at least Parrish has farming to fall back on, yet he could still face persecution under the obscure and little-known Indecent Displays Control Act 1981, which makes displaying indecent images an offence, although this is unlikely to happen. Despite the opprobrium heaped on him during this Tractorgate saga, female MPs from both sides have stated that Parrish was not perceived as one of the unreformed antediluvian male members of the House and displayed no overt misogynistic or sexist attitude towards women. In many ways, it's unfortunate that this hapless MP will forever be associated with this lapse as opposed to anything he ever achieved in his 12 years representing his constituency. 
Far less credible is Parrish's claim that he wasn't aware of the presence of women in his vicinity, even though they make up a sizable number of MPs. Even on the government benches, the numbers of female MPs are in decline, due in no small part to women being made to feel uncomfortable within the environment of the House. It wasn't all that long ago when the venerable institution was indeed a male-only members club that there are currently 225 female MPs and the vast majority of them progressive reformers has obviously escaped the attention of Mr. Parrish. Despite his initial obfuscation and lame excuses, there appears to be an element of genuine regret in Parrish's eventual apology and inevitable resignation a quality totally absent in his party colleague, our current prime minister, who is genuine nothing except with his obsession to survive by any means necessary. Despite stating that watching porn in parliament was clearly totally unacceptable, Johnson wouldn't fall on his sword under any circumstances, let alone inappropriately watching porn in public. An inquiry was announced into Parish's porn watching to establish the veracity of the allegation even though he eventually admitted to doing it. Enquiries like reviews seem to be as important to the House of Commons, maybe even more so than debating and passing laws. Perhaps this is less about watching porn in the hallowed hall where laws are made whilst live on TV, but more about the continual disconnect between the verified political structure of the antique anti-progressive and traditional obsessed mother of parliaments and the everyday reality of the voting public. When it comes to offensive remarks, it is unsurprisingly women who are the primary targets for the barbs and jibes, less because of their political opinions, but because they are women in what historically has been a male-only club. David Cameron's quip to Angela Eagle in 2011 to calm down there is a perfect example of a patronizing remark with barely disguised class connotation from an ex-public schoolboy directed at a female MP on the opposition benches. Angela Arena's leg crossing to supposedly distract the Prime Minister was only made possible because as Deputy Leader, she sits on the front row of the opposition benches. She has condemned it as disgusting, sexist and classist and public opinion has agreed with her. Anonymously sourced and fed to the media, so guaranteed to run and run, the main aim was to distract from serious political issues. It's doubtful whether the source will ever be revealed, but the point of the allegation is that it worked, as throwing the pack some red meat usually does. As the government and the opposition parties face each other a few meters apart, whilst huddled intimately together in more than close proximity with nowhere near enough space to accommodate all the members. It's little wonder that this over-familiar environment has developed into a febrile, testosterone field animal house. A very pertinent question asked by ever-increasing numbers of the electorate is how can a supposedly democratic institution such as the Houses of Parliament that contains more than its fair share of pernicious individuals seriously be said to represent them? Unless they too are a manifestation of these elected officials? As George Bernard Shaw said, the people get the government they deserve. 
do they really or do they deserve better? If Parliament is indeed a microcosm of good or blighty, then much of the country is still institutionally misogynistic, racist and homophobic. Yet, we as a nation try to convince ourselves otherwise, and sometimes with success. As public opinion on a range of social issues is well in advance of those that exist in government. All this is perhaps less surprising when the man at the top, the Prime Minister, has a long history of dubious property. In a recent survey, almost all of the 225 female MPs in the Commons reported being on the receiving end of sexist and misogynistic abuse, the majority of it anonymously and online through social media. The effect on individual women is greater on some than on others, but abuse is well in excess of that aimed at male MPs. In almost all cases, the trolling comments relate to the gender of the individual and not to their political opinions of voting history. This nefarious attitude is not restricted to female MPs, either as many local councillors are subjected to similar derogatory attacks on social media sites. Their overall effect is to gradually erode the confidence women have in themselves and weaken their ability to carry out their elected role in an efficient and competent manner to the best of their abilities. Such is the corrosive effect on their personal and professional lives that many women decide that it's not worth the bother and they had enough. And that is the biggest tragedy of all. The Tory party has long been a bastion of disrepute, although not exclusively, as other parties too have been mirrored in scandals and far more deviant than anything Neil Parish has done. There is a reality and decency disconnect that runs through the parliamentary system like lettering through a stick of seaside rock. Parliamentary deviance has prior form a long pedigree stretching back many, many years. There was undoubtedly a time, say between the 1960s and 1970s, when instances of allayed sexism, racism, bullying and homophobia just didn't register on the parliamentary psyche as they were all too common and treated as normal. There were very few women MPs. The most common female occupation was secretarial. Gays were invisible and non-white MPs didn't exist. But times have changed and Parliament has often struggled to keep up. As is always the case, the legislature is invariably several steps behind the mood of the nation in terms of social progress. To many in the all-male House of Lords and Parliament, the election of the first female or black MP was perceived as the onset of the fall of civilization. And the first openly gay MP was elected in the early 1980s and the sky didn't fall in. It should be pointed out that most of these pioneer parliamentarians had never been accused, let alone prosecuted or convicted of any intimidatory or sexual impropriety. The vast majority of these miscreants have been white males. It is repeated constantly that these offences are committed by a few bad apples, supposedly decomposing in the bottom of a barrel. Except the bad apples we are so used to hearing about are forever dropping off the parliamentary tree and into the tub. Totaled up, 
they account for a disproportionate number of the 650 MPs in the House of Commons who are murdered in continual allegations of sleaze, bullying, sexism, misogyny, depravity, and assault, persecution and convictions for corruption, gross sexual misconduct, and rape. Long overdue is any external or independent oversight into MPs' behavior towards their own staff or other members in their own party or the opposition. As MPs are not employees, as in any other public or private organization, Parliament is left to police, investigate, and punish as it sees fit. The Sunday Times has reported that 56 MPs have been investigated for alleged offences under the newly established Independent Grievance Scheme. Although this figure has been refuted by both the government and opposition parties, this is an astonishingly high figure, suggesting that political standard of behaviour are exceptionally poor, considering that there are only 650 MPs, two-thirds of them men, and any other private or public employer, the HR department will be in meltdown with senior executives already out of the door. At the centre of Westminster are a multitude of about 30 bars, cafes and restaurants, all of which serve alcohol. The taxpayers who subsidises this establishment to the tune of £5 million per year are for the most part completely unaware of the excessive number of these boozy establishments, which is unsurprising as they are not open to the public unless they are invited into the hallowed halls. These bars and eateries are in effect more akin to private members' clubs than public houses or bars. In total and including the 650 MPs and about 800 peers entitled to sit in the House of Lords, there are roughly 15,000 pass holders who work in the Houses of Parliament in some capacity. Attitudes shared by a few honourable members and their pals from the press propping up the strangers' bar have not kept pace with the morals of the population at large, nor with standards of more journalists, including political reporters. The values are as decayed as the crumbling mercenary of Westminster itself. A first-time visitor to the Houses of Parliament will be forgiven for thinking that they've wandered into an historical drama film set, a cross somewhere between Harry Potter, Games of Thrones and Black Adder, if the visitor were to wander down the thirsty, musty corridors of warrants that appear to have been carved out of the building which they certainly wouldn't be allowed to do unaccompanied. It will be as if they've gone back in a time machine to the 18th century, replete with bygone characters like Jacob Rees-Mogg. The Palace of Westminster is as unmodern a seat of government in the 21st century as it's possible to be. North Korea's governing chamber, by contrast, is a futuristic and technological nirvana, where democracy dare not intrude. But even Kim Jong-un's palace to himself and family predecessors, the Supreme People's Assembly doesn't have 30 baths where he can get a drink at any time. What the country desperately needs is a place of government that is fit for purpose, an electoral system that is genuinely representative of the disparate and diverse population. 
an assembly that is not confrontational, seeped in tradition and is accommodating of all those who are elected to serve in it, which at the present time does not exist. An additional issue that has only been partially rectified in recent decades is the absence of an elected second chamber, currently the unelected House of Lords. As the legislature and the unwritten constitution dating back almost a thousand years in some cases, the creation of a modern democratic country is fraught with innumerable difficulties that would take years, if not decades, to resolve and cost a substantial sum of money to implement, to say nothing of the lack of will in the Houses of Parliament to achieve this. Until these radical changes are implemented in what is the UK, United Kingdom, Great Britain or England, there is little chance that we can call ourselves a true democracy. If you've got any questions or inquiries, you can get in touch at risingaboveshadowsofabuse at gmail.com or our social media platforms rising above shadows of abuse or our social media platforms at TikTok rising above shadows of abuse, Twitter rising above abuse, YouTube rising above shadows of abuse. See you in the next episode and keep being positive. Take care. It's been Grace Opa for Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. In short, Raza.